Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And God, we just pray that you would just guide us and lead us and just show us real gems uh, from your word that you can use as seeds in our life to bless us and to make us a blessing. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Just wait for them to just put that on. Great. Okay. So I was brought up in West Auckland and uh, went to university in Palmerston North. My um, training was in biotechnology and my specialty was in environmental engineering. And uh, because of my dairy company responsibilities and because I was a keen fisherman, when I shifted to the Waikato, where I spent 20 years living, I was um, particularly interested in the water resources of the Waikato region. And I got interested in the environmental side when uh, I was at university. Um, one of the profs there, Prof McDougall, got me a job at the Auckland Regional um, Water Board's um, sewage treatment plant in Mangere. And uh, as I worked with the guys there, I just really got interested in that whole in that whole field. But I remember, <coughs> particularly after um, after one summer working in in Auckland and coming back to university and um, Prof McDougall, who was a bit of a character, he stood me up in front of this whole, um, it was a stage two microbiology class. And in a Scottish accent, he said, said, okay, Don, uh, tell us why you love water. Well, I was really shy in those days and uh, I just didn't know what to say. So I blurted out, uh, I, I love water because uh, because I was baptised in it. Well, yeah, all of the um, all of the lecture theatre burst out laughing as well, and um, Prof McDougall looked at me with a scowl on his face, and uh, and and he and he said, "That's only hearsay." And as soon as he said that, all the lights in the lecture theatre went off slowly. And they held us in darkness for about five seconds, which is a real, real, real long time. And then the lights slowly came up. And everybody was absolutely stunned. And my prof was speechless for the first time. <coughs> a decade later, I was um, visiting um, Palmerston North and uh, the Dairy Research Institute down there. And I was talking to the... Deputy Director of the Dairy Research Institute, and he reminded me of the day that God intervened in our microbiology class. And so, I, and he, this guy wasn't a Christian, uh, so so I knew that that event had had an impact on um, people's lives. So, the Waikato is dominated by the Waikato River. Uh, which flows out of Lake Taupo and it goes through eight hydro dams um, that provide us with heaps and heaps and heaps of uh, electricity. It's interesting that the amount of power that is um, produced, the amount of power that's generated, isn't just determined by the size of Lake Taupo. As big as it is, that's not the determining factor for the amount of power. 
uh, that's produced. The amount of power that's produced is determined by the flow of the water that comes out of the lake. The flow <coughs> is inc an incredibly important uh, component and that is true of our relationship with God also. If you want to see the power of God manifest in your situation, there needs to be a flow of the Holy Spirit uh, to you and through you. If you believe in the God of the Bible, then you believe in the creator of the universe, the one who is all-powerful, who is supernatural, the one who can create something out of nothing, the one who said that nothing is impossible to him, the one who has absolutely unlimited resources. So when I look at people's lives, I see that the problem for many people is that they aren't experiencing a flow of God's power, a flow of God's resources into their situation and into their circumstances. There's usually something blocking the flow of the Holy Spirit to them and through them. And so I want us to look at a situation in 2 Kings chapter 4 where the miracle power of God was released to a widow woman. Um, and we can learn some things from this situation. Uh, Bible tells us that every um, piece of information, every story in the Old Testament was written to, for our good, for our learning, for for us to take note of. And so we're going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, if not, it's up on the um, screen behind us. And I'm reading from the New International Version. And it says this. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. And Elijah said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask just for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you, and your sons pour oil into the, all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. How many people here would really like to be part of a miracle like that? Yeah, that'd be they're pretty awesome, wouldn't it? So, some keys uh, to helping the Holy Spirit flow into your situation and circumstances. Number one, you need to recognize your condition. This widow clearly understood her situation. She was a widow. Uh, her husband had served God, uh, but her husband, when he died, had left her in debt. And his creditors, it says, were coming to enslave her kids. Uh, today, you find that many people don't recognize the severity of their situation. 
And so they just drift through life to a godless eternity. Some people make plans for living. They go to life coaches. Some people make plans for retirement. And that's all great. There's the things that we should do. But the majority of people don't make plans for eternity. And that's the most important thing. This life is only really, really short. And we're going to spend uh, eternity either with or without God. So the most important thing that you can plan for is for your eternal life, your eternal situation. When Jesus was speaking about the end time church in Revelations, he said, you think you are hot and rich, but you really are lukewarm, blind and destitute. So, so this church and the church of this age thinks we've got it all together, thinks everything's fantastic, but the reality is when Jesus looks at us, he sees many of us as lukewarm, blind, destitute. So we need to recognize that no matter what our situation is, no matter what our experience has been with God, we need more of Him. We need to get a fresh touch of His Holy Spirit. We need to, Him to pour out His Holy Spirit on us afresh, break through in our lives, break through in our family. We desperately and definitely need Him to break through in this church, in our city. How would our city be changed if God would pour out His Holy Spirit on our city? What would that look like? I know in our prayer meeting that we've been praying for the last 19 years with ministers of the city, and we've been praying that God will pour out His Holy Spirit because we realize that the key to health in our city isn't government policies, isn't a better drug program. The key to our city is families coming to know Jesus Christ because when that happens, all the other issues get sorted out. So we need God to pour out His Holy Spirit on our city. We need Him to pour out His Holy Spirit on our nation. Some people here this morning have got kids that are already slaves to sin who need to set, be set free. So we need to begin to cry out to God. The widow cried out to Elijah, God's representative to Israel at that time, because she recognized that she didn't have the power to get through her situation by herself. She was crying out for herself, but she was crying out for her kids who were going to end up as slaves, basically, if God didn't break through. We weren't created to live life outside of a living, vibrant relationship with God. And I always find it's less stressful to be in constant communion with God every day rather than just calling out to him when I've got a major problem. But even when I have a problem, the solution is always in God. He knows our needs before we even ask him. I love what it says in the Psalms when the psalmist said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, when, he's, when Israel or Judah is faced with um, three armies attacking him, he prays a great prayer. And he says, God, we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great place to put your eyes this morning. What a great place to focus on in the middle of our problems. And 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth 
to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. If your heart is committed to God, then God's eyes are on you. Don't wait till the situation becomes absolutely desperate, but learn to look for God in the little things. Often, we don't get a miracle because we aren't looking for one, and we don't hear what God is saying because we aren't listening. So the third thing that I see is we need to listen to what God's saying in our situation. The, in the passage that we've just read, the word of the Lord was quite specific to the widow. She was to go to her neighbors. She was to borrow empty jars. She was to go inside, shut the door, and pour the little oil that she had into those jars. Every situation is different. So don't go to your neighbor and borrow jars and find some oil and start pouring it in. Um, unless God said that to you, it's not going to work for you. Uh, but every miracle is different. So it's important in life to hear what God is saying to you. The waters of the Red Sea were parted for Israel when Moses stretched out his rod. But when Israel came to the Jordan, the waters were parted when the priests carrying the ark began to wade through them. The Argentinian revival broke out when a lady at a small prayer meeting struck the table with her fist. The Welsh revival broke out when a man cried out, Lord, bend me. This widow received oil by pouring into borrowed vessels. Jesus fed the 5,000 by breaking up five loaves and two fish. The disciples got their tax money when they went fishing at the local wharf. Hey, that's not a bad idea, is it? Yeah, we could do that. But I've yet, and I don't know... You other fishermen here, I, I haven't yet pulled up a fish with money in its mouth. No, no, no. Okay. But every miracle is different. But the word of the Lord always gives a key to release the flow so that we need to hear what God is saying and asking us to do in our situation. There are lots of blockages that stop the flow of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Two of the biggest have got to be sin and busyness. Sin causes spiritual deafness, robs us of the ability to consistently hear the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And 1 Timothy 4 tells us that when we sin, our consciences are seared and we become dull of hearing as if we had spiritual Glue ear. How many um, people here have had kids or yourself have had glue ear? Put your hands up. Just, I'm just interested. Wow, just a whole heap of it. You, you know that when you've got glue ear, that's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. So you can't hear clearly. And that's what happens when you, when you keep on sinning. When you sin, when you know that you're doing something wrong, and you keep on doing it wrong, it sears your conscience. So you don't hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, do it differently. Okay? Filters on cameras block out various sections of the sun's rays. 
for instance, you've got polarizing filters, you've got UV filters, um, some have put pink filters or yellow filters on the camera, all designed to stop some of the sun's light getting through and giving a different type of picture. The same is true of our hearts. A heart of sin will act as a filter to what we see and hear. But God is a God of the second chance. And 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us that if we have sinned, and if we confess it to Jesus, then he is, and ask for forgiveness, he's faithful and will forgive us our sin. So I always tell people that you're only one prayer away from getting your life on track with God. And that's true. No matter what your situation is, no matter what your circumstances, you can get on track with God. But most often it requires saying, God, please help me. I know I've lived life without you. I know I've blown it. Would you just come and forgive me? And God does. That's just so amazing. That's so amazing. But the next biggest reason why we don't hear what God's saying to us is that we just don't take the time to stop and listen to a still, small voice. It's like, guys, have you ever been doing something and your wife comes up and starts talking to you? And she's talking away, and then she moves across into the next room, and she's still talking, and then she moves into the lounge, and she's still talking, and then she's out in the garage, and she's still talking, and you wouldn't have a clue what she's saying, and you wouldn't have a clue the download information that she's given you at that time. But um, you, you need to be concentrating. You need to be listening if you're going to hear what she's saying. And the same is true in life. We, we, need to be, we need to stop and actually listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. When I'm watching the golf on TV, and Penny comes up to me, just, if I'm concentrating on Tiger Woods on the TV, <coughs> I'm not going to hear what Penny's saying. And... Ladies, <laughs> us guys, us guys aren't good at multitasking, all right? All the guys said, amen, amen. all right? So give us a break, all right? <clears throat> just just um, one thing at a time. Get our attention. Get our focus. <clears throat> you won't hear what God's saying. Unless you stop and listen. Most often, 90% of the time, God will speak to me through his still, small voice. And that's exactly what it's like. It's a still, small voice. So if I just go through the day, busy, 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 da, 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 then it would take a bolt of lightning to break in. It would take writing on the wall to break in. And that happens sometimes. It does. But most often, God will speak to you through his still small voice. So if you want to hear what he's saying, stop and listen and see what he'll saying. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't know. But the key there is call unto me. All right, number four. Look for a seed. Uh, Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, said, Hey, look, if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Okay? 
nothing is impossible to God, but nothing is not impossible to us. Okay, we need something for God to breathe on to work a miracle. And I liken the seed to being a, um, a key that opens a valve. It's a bit like, or if you're an electrician, uh, it's a bit like a solenoid valve where you've got a really, really small voltage on one side of the valve and you've got a large, large, huge voltage on the other and you just apply a little voltage on one side and it opens and lets a huge amount flow. That's what it's like um, for us. If we've got a small amount of faith, then God, God, when God breathes on it, he can multiply it into something really, really big. It's like <clears throat> if you take an infinite number and you multiply it by nothing, what do you get? Nothing. If you take an infinitely small number and multiply it by an infinitely big number, what do you get? Infinity still. So if our faith is really, really, really small, but it's something, God can breathe on it. God can use it. And that's what he's looking for. He's not looking for huge faith, although that's fantastic. He's looking for a little faith that he can breathe on. It's the key. Elijah asked the widow, what do you have in your house? And she said, nothing. Except a little oil. Jesus asked the disciples who told him the impossibility of feeding 5,000 people. What do you have? And the crowd only had a few loaves and fishes, but when God breathed on them, his multiplication factor took place, and an incredible miracle happened. God said to Moses, when Moses was standing in front of him, he said, what's in your hand, Moses? And Moses said, my shepherd's staff. And God said, throw it down, surrender it. And then God breathed on it. And when God said to Moses, pick it up, it wasn't just Moses' shepherd's staff. It wasn't just his rod then. It was the rod of Moses and God. And it was through that rod that God and Moses did incredible, incredible miracles. And I say that because there are people here to, this morning that need to surrender your jobs, your time, your talent, your resources to God afresh and ask him to supernaturally empower you to see God move through your vocation and your situation. It's no good having resources as big as um, Lake Taupo. It's no good having talents as big as Lake Taupo. It's no good having time on your hands as big as Lake Taupo if there's no flow. If there's no flow, if there's no flow into God's kingdom, then that time, those talents, those resources are going to be wasted. You might only have a little bit of faith here this morning for healing. But when you use what you do have, you're giving God an opportunity to breathe on that and work a miracle. In 1989, my mother uh, developed a lump in her breast. It was found to be malignant. 
And subsequently, nine out of 14 lymph nodes tested positive. Uh, a further hot spot was found in her back, and she was given six to 15 months to live. Mum didn't have very many seeds to sow, but uh, she was living in Auckland, and um, Penny and I were in Hamilton in those days, and uh, she was alive. And while there is life, there is hope. So she came down to Hamilton, uh, where we were living at the time, and some of the elders of our church prayed the prayer of faith. And she was miraculously healed. And she lived to a great old age, cancer-free by the grace of God. She just she used what little she had, and other people prayed that prayer of faith. That brings me to my fifth point this morning. God's limited. God's unlimited. He is limitless. And faith is the key to releasing the flow of his unlimited potential. Nothing's impossible to God. His supply, his power is limitless. His promises to us are amazing. But the biggest blockage to us receiving them is our faith. Faith believes that God is who he said he is and will do what he says he will do. Even little faith is enough to release the power of God into our situation and circumstances. If you are lacking faith, get somebody else to pray with you and pray for you if you need a miracle. James 15.4 says, call for the elders of the church. Get them to pray the prayer of faith. And you'll be healed. And often, people, when we're sick, our faith is at a low level. So that's why you get somebody else to pray. Faith has to be there. And if you haven't got it, get somebody else and see what God will do. Great to see you in church this morning, Alan. Jesus only did a few miracles in Nazareth because of the lack of faith of the townsfolk. So that's amazing. If lack of faith could stop Jesus from doing a whole pile of miracles, uh, we can also assume that lack of faith in our situation and circumstances will stop the flow of the Holy Spirit. Faith is a real key to releasing the flow of God's power into your situation. And faith isn't built on feelings. Just because you feel down doesn't mean you don't have any faith. Just because you feel good doesn't, ma- doesn't mean you have got a lot of faith. I remember one missions trip when we were in India. I was in a village about two and a half hours north of Hyderabad. And uh, it was just a small meeting. There would have only been probably 80 people in that meeting. And uh, we were praying for the sick. And they carried in a man who was a cripple. Uh, I found out that uh, through the interpreter that what had happened was he was digging a well. And um, they were, it was about 20 foot deep, and he was the last of the guys to be pulled up by rope. And when, he, when they got to the top, whether they got tired or whether he was tired, whatever, he let go of the rope. And he fell feet first down the well shaft and hit the bottom. Uh, fortunately, it was reasonably soft, but he had compressed fractures all the way up through his back. He spent three months in hospital, they couldn't do anything for him. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do a thing. So I'm praying for people. I see this impossible situation in front of me. I 
didn't feel a lot of faith. I didn't feel anything. I just laid hands on him and said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And then quickly went on to the next person because I didn't have a lot of faith. I'm praying for the next person and I hear this commotion alongside me. And I looked across and here's this guy standing by himself now. Then I see him walking. Then I see him running around the church uh, building. He was completely healed because somebody there was believing. Somebody there was exercising their faith. It wasn't me in that situation. But God can use you even in those situations. But he was completely healed. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. So we have to ask and we have to imagine. Our faith is built up when we hear God speaking to us. Our faith is built up when we read God's word. Our faith is built up when we hear other people's testimonies. Uh, Our faith is built up when we remember what God has already done in our lives. But it's not just a matter of flow of the Holy Spirit to us. It's also the flow of the Holy Spirit through us. And people, we need to expect God to flow through us. The impact of the widow's miracle wasn't felt when the oil was multiplied behind closed doors. As good as that was, as exciting of that, as that was, that didn't solve her problem. No, her situation was changed when she went out into the marketplace with the oil, when she sold the oil and she paid off all her debts. Yes, We have to have closed doors and get alone with God and allow him to pour out his Holy Spirit on us. But then we need to go out expecting that just as the Holy Spirit has flowed to us, he will also flow through us. Jesus said in John 7, 38, that we should be so full of the Holy Spirit that there would be rivers of the Spirit flowing out from us. The Apostle Paul was so full and overflowing with the Holy Spirit that even handkerchiefs that he touched had an impartation of the Holy Spirit on them and healed the sick. People would bring the sick out into the streets hoping that Paul's shadow would pass over him. And if you dwell in the shadow of the Most High, then his anointing, his power will not only flow to you, will not only surround you, will not only bless you, but it will flow through you and it will touch other people. You know, we used to sing that song, when you walk into the room, everything changes. I think it's a Bethel song. Well, the reality is when we walk into the room, everything should change because we're carrying the Holy Spirit within us. Doesn't the Bible tell us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, quickening our body? So we should expect the Holy Spirit to move through us when we get in, when we get out into that. The game is not in here, the game is out there. This is like the halftime coaching session. This is like the encouragement from the coach. What matters is out there. It's when we get out into our neighborhoods. It's when we go back to our families. It's when we're in the schools. Hey, we had um, 
we had Whangarei Primary in here uh, from Monday through till Thursday night. I have never smelt so many smelly kids in all my life. It had been raining uh, on Monday uh, and Tuesday, and they came in wet, and there was, well, three, that must have been 600, 600 smelly um, shoes and socks. And, uh, oh, man, it was terrible. <laughs> but you're lucky that you can sit there this morning. Everyone take a big breath. <sighs> Thank you, all the cleaners. Thank you, all the people. But it was fantastic to be able to open up our building and bless that primary school because God has put that place on our heart. And God has given us favor with us, with them. And so it's been an absolute privilege to allow them to use our resources. And we trust that something of the Holy Spirit that people experience when they come in here, something of the presence of God, we hope that that will rub off on some of them. And as we have teachers there, a number of the teachers that go to Whangarei Primary, uh, born again, uh, a number of them go to our church, and Penny, of course, is the chaplain for the school there. So we're asking God, open up opportunities for us to minister to people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who need to know that, God, you love them and that you care for them. And so it was. It was a great privilege to, to have them uh, with us. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, as the musicians come, says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Mark 16.20 says, When the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. You know, when you show someone love, the Bible tells us that people will know that we're Christians by our love. When you do an act of kindness, eventually people are going to ask why. And then you can tell them that you're doing it because you serve the kindest God in the universe. And it's his love that's flowing through you. We can expect in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods to experience the Holy Spirit flowing through us, impacting people around about us. But we've got to allow him to do it and we've got to expect and to move in faith. So look for opportunities to allow God to move miraculously not only in your life, but through your life. Because it's as we go and step out in faith that the Spirit of God who is in us flows through us. Amen? Amen. Why don't you all stand?